On uh, February 1st, TV weatherman Phil Connors tells his Pittsburgh area viewers, they have nothing to worry about that the approaching blizzard will miss them. Along with his producer and cameraman, Phil travels to Punxsutawney for his yearly coverage of Groundhog Day. He does not hide his complete disgust for this assignment as well as for the town and for the people who live there. The next day, February 2nd, Phil wakes up at the Cherry Tree Inn to the song, I Got You, Babe, playing on the clock radio. He gives a very unenthused report on Punxsutawney Phil and the festivities of the day. And then, lo and behold, boom, the blizzard hits the area, preventing any travel in and out uh, and forcing him to spend the night in this town once again. The next morning, Phil awakes once more to, I got you, babe. He experiences the previous day's events repeating once more, and he thinks he has deja vu. He tries again to leave the town unsuccessfully and finally just has to go to bed. When he wakes up, it's February 2nd. Phil gradually realizes that he is stuck in a time loop that nobody else knows about. And before it's all said and done, Phil is in full-blown crisis and really begins to spiral. Because of that movie, the term Groundhog Day has become a part of our English lexicon, referring to a monotonous, unpleasant, repetitive situation. Groundhog Day. Many of us know what it's like to be stuck like that. That's how many people described the opening months of COVID-19. It felt like Groundhog Day. Many of us know what it is to be stuck in a cycle like that, to experience a crisis that seems to be on repeat, or at least that rhymes again and again. Many of us know other people in that place too. Other people, or maybe an organization that we're a part of is experiencing this type of situation. Sometimes God calls us to step up and to lead in a crisis moment. Sometimes God calls us to lead in the midst of Groundhog Days. In our bold and untold message this morning, looking at lesser-known biblical characters who yet teach us important truths, we see God doing just that with a woman named Deborah. Let's pray. God, open our hearts and minds to your word for us this day. We pray that it would take root there, that it would grow us and transform us, that we might live for you and bear fruit for your kingdom. This we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. A reading this morning from the book of Judges, uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. Listen for God's word. After Ehud had died, the Israelites again did things that the Lord saw as evil. So the Lord gave them over to King Jabin of Canaan, who reigned at Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, and he was stationed at Harasheth Hagoim. The Israelites cried out to the Lord because Sisera had 900 iron chariots and had oppressed the Israelites cruelly for 20 years. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was a leader of Israel at that time. She would sit under Deborah's palm tree between Ramah and Bethel in the Ephraim Highlands, and the Israelites would come to her to settle disputes. She sent word to Barak, Abinoam's son from Kadesh and Naphtali, and said to him, Hasn't the Lord, Israel's God, issued you a command? 
Go and assemble at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 men from the people of Naphtali and Zebulun with you. I'll lure Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, to assemble with his chariots and troops against you at the Kishon River. Then I'll help you overpower him. Barak replied to her, If you'll go with me, I'll go. But if not, I won't go. Deborah answered, I'll definitely go with you. However, the path you're taking won't bring honor to you because the Lord will hand over Sisera to a woman. Then Deborah got up and went with Barak to Kadesh. He summoned Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh, and 10,000 men marched out behind him. Deborah marched out with him too. Now Heber the Kenite had moved away from the other Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, Moses' father-in-law, and had settled as far away as Elon Bezanim, which is near Kadesh. When it was reported to Sisera that Barak, Abinoam's son, had marched up to Mount Tabor, Sisera summoned all his 900 iron chariots and all the soldiers who were with him from Harasheth Hagoim to the Kishon River. Then Deborah said to Barak, Get up. This is the day the Lord has handed Sisera over to you. Hasn't the Lord gone out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men behind him. The Lord threw Sisera and all the chariots and army into a panic before Barak. Sisera himself got down from his chariot and fled on foot. Barak pursued the chariots and the army all the way back to Harasheth Hagoim, killing Sisera's entire army with the sword. No one survived. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, Israel is in a crisis way worse than Groundhog Day time loop. When Joshua led Israel into the promised land, he called them to be faithful to God by being obedient to the commands of the Torah so that they could show the world what God was like by the way that they lived. The book of Judges begins with the death of Israel's leader, Joshua, and then proceeds throughout the rest of the book in graphic detail to outline Israel's complete and total total failure. There's this cyclical pattern that emerges, this almost Groundhog Day-esque loop that repeats over and over again in the book of Judges. And it goes like this. Israel is unfaithful to God, worshiping the gods of the surrounding nations, um, not, uh, not following God's commands, engaging in unholy worship practices, Then some disaster befalls them. Uh, They're defeated in battle. They're they're invaded by another nation. They're sometimes enslaved. Then they cry out to God for help. Then God hears their cries, raises up a leader called a judge, and rescues the people through this leader or deliverer. Then Israel turns away from God again. They cry out to God again. God raises up a leader. They're delivered over and over again. Wash, rinse, repeat. Groundhog Day. Stuck in this crisis. So this is the context in which Judges introduces us to Deborah. Apparently God had raised up a leader named Ehud who rescued the Israelites from the king of Moab. And after he died, predictably, Israel again did the things that were evil in the sight of the Lord. So scripture says they were given over to King Jabin of Canaan. Commander of his army was Sisera and he had 900 iron chariots and had oppressed the Israelites and enslaved them for 20 years. It's like God is saying, okay, you want to abandon me and my covenant with you and my ways and chase after the gods and worship the gods of these surrounding people and serve them. Okay, I'll let you have your wish. If you want to serve them, that's fine. And you'll find that you'll literally be mastered and conquered by them. It's allowing them to experience the consequences of their own desires and pursuits. 
So as the cycle goes, right, Israel's cry for deliverance and help is followed by God raising up another judge. And this time, it's a woman. It's a woman leader named Deborah. We're told that Deborah was a prophet, uh, that she was a leader of Israel at the time. How did she lead? We're told that she sat under a tree and that the Israelites would come to her to settle disputes, to judge between them. So she's clearly someone with great wisdom and great instinct, someone well-respected and trusted, someone who must have known the Torah, the first five books of the Hebrew Bible, inside and out. Apparently, she's discerned that God has commanded Barak, a military commander, to assemble an army at Mount Tabor with 10,000 men from two rather peripheral tribes of Israel, Naphtali and Zebulun. What's the plan God has given? Lord Sisera and his chariots out, and then God will help Barak overpower them. Barak says, it's fine. If, if you go with me, I'll go, but if not, I won't. Deborah says, I'll go. So Barak assembles the men, marches to Mount Tabor. When Sisera hears that they are marching in that direction, he summons his armor of chariots. Deborah says to Barak, get up, go. Don't you know that God has handed you over to him? Hasn't the Lord gone out before you? Barak charges. God throws Sisera and his army into a panic. And Barak, Deborah, and the Israelites defeat Canaanites. So what can we learn? What can we learn from the bold and untold story of Deborah? What can we learn about stepping up to lead in moments of crisis, stuckness, Groundhog Days? First, Deborah's leadership demonstrated attentiveness to God. Attentiveness to God. At the time when all the rest of Israel was chasing after other gods, Deborah was staying put with the one true God. Scripture says that she would sit underneath a tree and the Israelites would come to her to help settle disputes. In fact, she spent so much time there, apparently, that it was called Deborah's tree. Now, the tree is an interesting detail because throughout the Bible, and in particular in the Old Testament, trees are important symbolically. Of course, in Genesis, right, there's the tree of life signifying Uh, meeting with God's presence, being in close communion with the God of life. In Genesis 18, God appears to Abraham and Sarah under the trees, the door of their tent. Uh, Of course, Moses experiences God's presence, hears God's voice speaking out of a burning bush. Uh, Later on in the Old Testament, Elijah hears from God under a broom tree. So when we read that Deborah regularly sat under a palm tree, so much so that it became known as her tree, that's a cue us to think that this is her holy place. This is her holy place. This is her prayer closet. This is her war room, as it were. This isn't just where she judged between people. She did that. This is where she was attentive to God. This is where she spent time with God and prayed and listened. This is where she studied the Torah over and over and over again. While Israel was unfaithful and strayed and was inattentive to God, Deborah was faithful to pay attention. And isn't this why precisely she could summon Barak and tell him that she's heard God issue him a command and then tell it to him in great detail? This is how she could say without hesitation, get up, 
This is the day God's going to deliver us. Don't you know that God has already gone out before you? Because she's leading out of a place of attentiveness to God. It reminds me of Jesus spending so much time alone in prayer with his Father in heaven, even in the midst of his his leadership and his mission and his ministry, spending so much time in prayer with his Father in heaven and paying attention and saying things in John's gospel like, I only do what I see the Father do first. In the midst of stagnation or, or crisis or both, it can be really easy to panic and run. Even to run ahead of God, to try and go at it on our own strength, or, or turning to false gods that advertise quick fixes instead of God Almighty. In order to lead faithfully and boldly in moments of crisis like Deborah, we must first be attentive to God and spend time in God's presence to hear what God has to say. We have to find our palm tree, the place, the practice that allows us to be particularly in touch with God and God's wisdom and God's strength and God's word. Second, Deborah demonstrates, uh, demonstrated uh, leadership uh, in this way. She demonstrated a boldness born out of wisdom, not recklessness. A boldness born out of wisdom, not recklessness. I can remember reading the Hardy Boys mystery books uh, when I was in elementary school, read through the whole series, and I'm really convinced that that series increased my vocabulary more than any, anything else, uh, than anything else did. And one of the words that I still remember learning for the first time in reading the Hardy Boys was uh, the word impetuous, the word impetuous, because that's how Joe Hardy was described, because he often burst into situations or reacted in ways without uh, without discernment, without tapping into wisdom. And so because of that, I learned that this word impetuous referred then to someone who acted quickly uh, and without thinking or, or care. Part of the witness of Deborah was that she led boldly, not out of a sense of reckless abandon or impetuousness, but out of a deep sense of wisdom, right? And in the Bible, wisdom is practical know-how, good judgment and instinct, the ability to, to discern between good and bad and right and wrong because of connection with God and studying God's word over and over and over again so that it begins to form you. That's wisdom in the Bible. If knowledge is, is seeing the quicksand, wisdom is going around it. Deborah clearly is someone that the Israelites looked up to as a person of great wisdom because they went to her to help settle disputes. They trusted her experience and Torah-formed guidance in decision-making. Because she did not recklessly enter into decisions or, or render solutions recklessly to the disputes that were brought before her, she also did not recklessly act in the face of this crisis before her people. She was bold, certainly, in her decision on behalf of Israel, but not because she was reckless, because she tapped into her good judgment. Knowledge would have been knowing how to fight. Wisdom was knowing when to do so. Wisdom was calling on Barak, the one who lived in the region of conflict, the one who knew the situation and the people and the terrain who had military experience. And it's clear that 
he in turn trusts her wisdom because he asks her to go with him into battle. He has good judgment. And sometimes in the midst of, of a crisis or Groundhog Day moments, our instinct is to be bold quickly, to be bold quickly instead of in a discerning way. But, but if, we act, if we act boldly without wisdom, we might use unholy means to justify an end. If we go too quickly, we might use unholy means to justify a desired end. And that's never, never the way of Jesus. Or we might burn out and burn out everybody else with us and end up worse off. It's like fighting against a riptide, right? If you try to recklessly go against it head on, you won't make it back to shore. If you're discerning and use good judgment, you don't fight it. You ride it out and swim diagonally back to shore. Boldness born of wisdom. Finally, uh, Deborah's leadership demonstrated cooperative and empowering leadership. Cooperative and empowering leadership. Deborah quickly realizes she cannot confront this crisis on her own. She quickly recognizes who the knowledgeable, gifted people around her are, reaches out, and then instills confidence in them, empowers them. In this case, it's Barak. She goes and summons Barak to her, tells him that God has commanded him to gather troops and confront Sisera's army. She assures him that God has promised to help. Rather than assume the military leadership, typical of other other judges in, in the book of Judges, Deborah utilizes Barak's established military experience. She doesn't bring a sword to the table, but she brings to the table the one who does have the sword and empowers him. She speaks encouragement into into Brock with God's word and presence in her own presence. And even in the height of the moment, she encourages and empowers Barak one more time. She says, get up. This is the day the Lord has given Sisera over to you. Hasn't the Lord gone out before you? In other words, like, you can do this. God's before you. Let's go. With God's presence, with Deborah's encouragement, empowerment, guidance, and Barak's skills as a military leader, Israel defeats their enemy. So in Deborah, we see a leader willing to, to share power and responsibility and willing to empower others. It's collaboration in crisis. And her confidence becomes Barak's confidence. Her courage becomes his courage. And his skills complement hers. Friends, in seasons of crisis, we are called to be Deborahs, leading through collaborating with and empowering others. Supporting one another's strengths, supplementing one another's needs takes us much further than going it alone. We may not bring everything to the table. In fact, we probably don't bring everything to the table ourselves, but we can bring other people to the table who have what we don't have, and then speak confidence into their lives for them to use their gifts and skills so we can meet the problem together head on. It's shared power and responsibility. It's really connecting to our interdependency as the body of Christ, right, with many beautiful and unique members. Because as followers of Jesus, we know, we know that we've all been 
been given unique gifts by God and are constantly being empowered by the Holy Spirit. So perhaps we need to become bolder to name and affirm what we see in other people, calling them to use what they've been given to make a real difference. Deborah was a very special leader in the midst of a downward spiral. Groundhog Day moment for Israel. Through her attentiveness to God, her her boldness born from wisdom, her willingness to empower and work with others, Israel broke free from their oppressors. Even though this freedom was short-lived, her witness is bold. We all face crisis moments. We all know what it is to be stuck or to be in a cycle that's tired of repeating. Maybe you're in that place today. Maybe you know someone who's in that place. Is God calling you to be a Deborah? To step into the moment and lead? May we be that person as we echo and experience her words. Get up. Hasn't the Lord gone out before you? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.